Yo, yo, what's up, y'all? Today we had an awesome conversation with Andrew Greenstein. We talk uh, Miyamoto Musashi, anime, a little bit about business. You guys Peace. Nashville, it's like Nashville, Austin, and New Orleans, like that belt of live music where just everyone has so much talent. Yeah, so if I were trying to be a musician, I'd go cut my teeth there. Have you been to New Orleans a lot? So I've only been twice, and both times it was for a bachelor party. So I don't know like <laughs> yeah. what version of New Orleans I saw, but I'm not allowed to talk about it. What do you think about the food? Oh, amazing food. I think that it's the best food I've ever had. Like the the flavors and shit, like and just like every restaurant was fucking good. I don't know. Yeah. We were also there for a bachelor party, so you know who knows. I think you can make a strong argument. It's a it's such a unique style. So you are a musician, right? Like you kind of trained up as a musician. Did you go to school for that, or did you? No, um, I did a lot of music in in high school. Like every all the bands you could do, right? marching band rock band, orchestra, symphony, all that stuff. Um, and then I went to college uh, as an English major, but tried to get into the band. Um, wasn't quite good enough. Um, so, you know, I still did like some of the club bands. I was in a Latin fashion band. Um, but it's been something that I just have always wanted to continue working on. And I feel like I'm actually better now than I was back then. So I'm still on an upward trajectory. And yeah, I, I don't know if you ever think about like second careers, but uh, yes. I definitely dream about the like okay the second half of life, so, like you know maybe do the musician thing, but like do it not having to depend on it for a living because you know, that's a hard way to live, make a living. Yes, totally, and it adds like stress into the creative process. I feel like yeah, you know where you just it's thrown a certain way because you think it's more commercially viable and agents have their opinion on what you need to do and right it's yeah. the whole thing record labels yeah i think about a second career in like jujitsu i love training martial arts oh yeah 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 i was thinking about doing jujitsu recently dude okay yeah give me the pitch so you're in california socal is like basically where a lot of brazilians go socal and like miami and you have a ton of good schools in SoCal and NorCal. You have like a couple good schools. Carlson Gracie's up there. Scott Kurt Osiander's in San Francisco. That's a really good gym. Yeah, check it out. Actually, let me see if I can recommend you. Uh, what's like? What's gonna be my like first year, second year, and third year of jujitsu if I do this? Like, hand me a picture. It's hard to tell from the video, but like. Give me a sense of like your physical stature. Like how tall are you? How much do you weigh? Do you weight lift currently? Okay, I'm six one. Um I'm a little overweight. Two two thirty. Um I play a lot of basketball and I run, so my lower body is really strong. Uh, my upper body gotcha. is not very strong, and that's one of the reasons I wanna I wanna explore. I need gotcha. to do more more for the full body, you know, strength. Gotcha. Okay. So, so if you're six one and over 200, on average, you're going to be like bigger than probably the normal person in jujitsu. And so that's going to give fall you harder a, though, you know, that's true, but you will have a natural advantage in terms of because grappling is very strength and size dependent. Yeah. Um, initially, like when the skill is like early, 
size makes a hell of a difference. And so you're not going to have a super unpleasant time for the first year. Like, yeah, you'll kind of feel like, man, there's a 150 pound guy or a 120 pound girl, you know, controlling me, but it's not going to hurt. You know, yeah. cause, cause you, your body can handle it. If you're like a 135 pound guy, you're going to get ragdolled by everybody and it's going to like actually hurt, not just hurt your ego. So, yeah. So first six months, it's going to kind of feel like you're learning how to swim. But the second six months, you're going to get the hang of it. And I would say around month eight, to like month 12, you're going to probably tap somebody. You're going to like feel how it feels to like hit a submission and you're going to be like, holy shit, this is like a superpower. That's when you get hooked. You're going to get addicted. Yeah, for sure. How long have you been doing it? Maybe eight years. Oh, wow. Is there a belt system? There's a belt system. There's a belt system if you do gi. Uh, there's no belt system if you do no gi, but you kind of get promotions but you don't wear a belt. Um, and the, the gi is like a more traditional kind of system where like you wear like a kimono and shit. Uh, no gi is basically you wear like a rash guard and shorts and it's more akin to wrestling. And so there's a little bit of a cultural difference. I see. And so I actually wrestled for a little bit. A long time ago. But I like Yeah. So you, so you understand like, the intensity of grappling and like, yeah, yeah the push pull. So if you're going to learn one martial art, I think jujitsu is the best one because you're grappling, you're sparring every day that you go train. Uh, That's cool. And so, yeah, like a lot of traditional martial arts, you're not sparring. You're just like learning technique. And then like you go and you spar and you're like, Oh shit, this is like totally different than this hitting pads. Yeah. You know, uh, but with jujitsu, you learn a technique and then the last 30 minutes of class, you're like in a live wrestling match trying to utilize the technique. That's cool. What injuries do I have to look forward to? Fucking knee shit, uh, knee shoulder shit. shit. So, yeah, I, shoulder. I was thinking and... shoulder dislocation is going to be the first one. <laughs> I, I, I like partially tore an ACL. Um, but, but it recovered and, and I kind of feel like it's one of these things where, if you're serious about jujitsu, like you train twice a week or three times a week, let's say it forces like your life to be in order. What ends up happening is like you actually start, for example, like drinking less or eating better, sleeping earlier. Like it kind of, if you're enjoying it, it forces discipline into other mm. aspects of your life. And as it does, your injury risk drops. Like the times I've gotten, I've gotten injured, have been weeks where like I'm working 12 hours a day. I go yeah. to a happy hour, you know, I drink and then I Not wake up at well. five. Yeah. To go train at 6 a.m. And then you're just going to get hurt, you know? So if you're disciplined about the other shit outside of jujitsu, you probably won't get hurt generally. Yeah. You should do it, man. Just go, go to like a class, commit to like a month. And... All right. I, I think I'm going to try and <laughs> I'll send you an update. Yeah, it's the nerds martial art. It's like, there are a lot, the guys who do well in it are like cerebral. They like to solve problems. The meatheads basically go to MMA and are wrestlers. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So San Francisco, born and raised there, musician. Born in Chicago, raised in San Francisco or south of San Francisco. 
has the city changed in the last 20 years? I think there's a lot uh, less music in the city, music and art, music venues, like a lot of the classic ones have shut down. Um, you know, there's definitely artists getting priced out. There's um, been a lot of wealthy people and uh, a lot of low-income people and then this huge gap. And it's been really hard for uh, the city to fill in, uh, particularly with the artist community. So we've seen a lot of closures and great clubs that we used to go to. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a pretty resilient city and there's still an incredible culture here. I'm hoping that, you know, the city can figure out a way to restore what some of that magic that makes it great. Yeah, like, what's the opinion of, like, a San Franciscan on just, like, the tech ecosystem that exists there? I feel like it's one of those, you know, rumors of our death were exaggerated type of things. <laughs> Look, I'm, like, totally on board with the idea of, hey, I want to go get, a, you know, a bigger house or, you know, I'm going to go somewhere else and I'm going to work my magic there. Like, there's tools you can do that. You know, we have people in our company all over the world. Um, so I have no issue with that, but you know, I still like when I talk to people here, maybe we're just drinking our Kool-Aid, but you know, everyone says that like, this is still where people are coming to raise money and then start businesses. Um, and you have a lot of experts here, you know, like the, the top minds in AI are still here. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's, it hasn't really changed in that sense. And if anything, it might even be, getting better um but you know the downtown is is pretty empty i mean i think we're really lagging in terms of going back into the office um, that's sort of in line with our liberal culture mindset but i even feel like that's starting to change you, you hear startup ceos starting to you know talk about hey uh you know we're now pushing to bring people back into the office and it's not because it isn't working to do the remote thing it has been working but it's it works best when you already have a culture and then you go remote so we all experience that um, but if you have to build a culture fully remotely that's that's a big challenge so i think that's where a lot of pressure is coming from you have to like have meetings where 20 minutes you don't talk about work it seems like that's how you kind of have to get to know people you know yeah and um i mean i, I do i do believe in in person so I, I say this not having an office i go into every day you know, most of our team is in Romania and we have an office there. We've never required people to go into an office. Uh, it used to be a competitive advantage for us. Now it's not. Um, yeah. But that said, you know, we love when people go to the office. We go there as much as we can. We've gone there like 10 times a year before. Now we go about three, four times a year. Um, and when we're there, we do our best work in the sense that we are spending as much time as we can together. And a lot of it's not talking about work. It's just getting to know the human that you're, um, you know, trying to solve problems with. So I'm a, I'm a big proponent of that that part of it. Do you guys fly in everybody from like Romania and elsewhere to the office for those days? Or, um, yeah, yeah. So the, there's 50 of us in Romania, um, and then wow, about five of us elsewhere. So we all fly. To wow, them. holy shit, that's crazy. Uh, have you been to did, Romania? No, no, I haven't. How is it? It's awesome. It's uh, our our office is in a city called Cluj. Uh, it's uh, it's in, it's in the heart of Transylvania, dude. Yeah, you know, like, I didn't even know it was a real place um, until until I started going there. Uh, 
and it's amazing. It's this it's a university, like a university city. I think there's 400,000 people in the city and then another 100,000 students. Um, so there's like 11 universities, I think, and most of them are technical. So you have this incredible like hotbed of intellectualism and education. And, um, so that's one part, really quickly growing city. And then you also, you know, Romania had a dictator um, in the late 80s and when the dictatorship fell, I think there's a lot of support from the West and um, the U.S. And so the country developed a strong relationship with the U.S. And, you know, there's a, there's, there's a big military base there. Um, there's a lot of diplomacy. I remember when, during the pandemic, when we got the vaccine, Romania got the vaccine at the same time. Damn. So, I, like, there's this close ties and uh, great, vibrant culture, incredible people, incredible education system. Uh, incredible talent. Maybe I'm like a dumb and uncultured American. But when I think about Romania, I think about like the fucking vampires. I mean, they lean into it now. <laughs> yes, you know, Dracula's castle and um, all, all the stuff around it. But you know, it's it's kind of rooted in a semi-real story. Vladimir Taylor. He was actually like a great military tactician. I'm probably going to butcher this, but I think he was captured as a child by the Turks and tortured, and it just became a horrible perp person because of that right hurt people no wow hurt people hurt people not the same yes yes um so then he but he was a you know he escaped and then he went back and he drove the turks out of romania or maybe there was three regions at the time um but drove the turks out of the area and then he started ruling it's like i guess an interesting experiment in how to run a country but his like thing was obviously impaling um but it was like (laughs) it was the punishment for everything it was like you killed someone i'm gonna impale you you stole some bread? I'm going to tell you too. Um, <laughs> and he was horrible. I mean, he was impaling not just the people that were committing the crimes, but like they have uh, a torture museum at the Dracula Castle, of course. Why not? But they also said that you put out a gold brick in the middle of the city square. No one would touch it. Like crime disappeared. Not advocating for this form of of uh, punishment, but it's, it's just interesting. It is. It's like that shock and awe style punishment. I, mean, I bet Singapore is similar. Right, like you get caned if you basically do anything, like spit and gum out or something. Yeah, you it's know? really it's really clean. The clean. It is, yeah. I, no I read on Reddit something interesting about vampirism. Basically, you may have known this, but like they used to think that rabies, like when a human being got rabies, that was va- that person was a vampire because basically they showed all the symptoms of what we would think about like a vampire happening like pale skin that makes sense they hated this the strong odors like garlic oh they apparently couldn't bear the sight of their own image they were going crazy oh that's so interesting yeah so when there were like rabid wolves or dogs basically you know eastern europe and you got bit by a wild dog and you got rabies or a wild rodent or something they would be like that person's fucking possessed. That makes sense. Yes. You know, get bit by a bat. Yeah. Like everything gets inspired from real events in some way. So do you like anime or no? I do. I'm like, uh, so this is actually the same way I am about music where I just obsess over a small batch <laughs> of it. And I'm not like widespread. <laughs> so like I've seen probably five anime of my life. Obsessed. <laughs> okay. Which ones? Um, so my all time favorite's Kenshin. Okay, solid. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and 
I'm like currently, and I say currently, but I've been trying to get through it for like two years, working my way through Naruto. Okay, yeah. It's like there's like thousands, classic, and like four hundred of them were just filler, and I just couldn't get myself to skip them. Um, but you know, when it gets good, it gets really good. Um, I actually, I don't know if this counts as anime, but I watched that show Castlevania. Yes. Yeah. Yes, about Vlad, right? Yeah, yeah. And then my other favorite, uh, I guess I was my number two favorite behind Kenshin was uh, Kuroki, Kuroki's Basketball. I haven't seen that one. If I'm you're into sports or basketball, it's short, it's only three seasons. Um, it was awesome. What's, what are your, what's your top four, I guess? Yeah, okay. So my, like, Mount Rushmore. Uh, I love JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. It's like, uh, I think it started in the 80s or maybe early 90s, and it's kind of continued on, and it's really good. It's on Netflix. I would start at, like, the Egypt arc, which is, like, the second season. It's really to, good. You don't need to know the first the first season? I mean, it's not as good, and, like, you can get the context based on the that season. And then I really love this older anime called The Legend of Galactic Heroes that's on Crunchyroll. And it's like a 150 episode series that basically deals with like, like a galactic, it's like Star Wars, but an anime in a different universe where both the Empire and the Rebels are like led by sympathetic figures. Okay, uh, so yeah, there's there's good and it's it's dynamic, right? Like people are are faulted characters. I I love that, like when the superhero movies started turning towards like the darker, fault you know, faulted characters that felt much more real to me. It, it, it totally and like watching a show with like nuance and depth or an anime with that actually kind of inspires me at work. Like Man. there were some like you know strategic or diplomatic issues they were trying to figure out in Legend of the Galactic Heroes and I watched an episode I'm like oh I'm fired up to like do business you yeah. know it's yeah. uh <laughs> it's so that's yeah that's a really good one um and then let's see for a third I like Hunter x Hunter those are my top three I would say uh I would give my shot yeah. as soon as you I should in seven years yeah in seven years yeah I know. I tend to like watch anime sporadically. Like I'll watch three episodes in a weekend and then like not watch it again for like months. You know? Yeah, it's one of my plain watches. Yeah. I'm I'm a married man now and my wife's not a uh, not an anime fan. So thank you. And so I'm like Are you a reader? Yeah, I am a reader. I love historical fiction. I try to rotate between like some kind of businessy book learn something from someone great some kind of biography or fantasy you know that sometimes cheap reads i'm reading uh orphan x right now i don't know if you've heard of that yes i read the series it's fucking good evan smoke right yeah it keeps going I and mean, then he keeps dropping a new book every year now one of my all-time favorites is shogun historical fiction james Clavell. Um, i'm actually reading I think it's called Miramoto, a predecessor to Shogun, Mistborn. That? Yes, Brendan Sanderson. Yeah, I read that. That's yeah. solid. Those are three, three uh, books. What about you? 
so I'm a big fan of Sanderson. I love, um, uh, like what he did with the Wheel of Time series. Um, I've never read that. I probably should. Yeah. He picked, it, he picked it's it up solid. after the, the original author died, man. Yes. Yes. It's a big ass series. It's a commitment and like a whole world, but it's really good. Um, I loved, uh, Stormlight Archive. That's another one of his series. I read I like, like half of it. And then, yeah, like, I don't know what happened, but you know, when you put down a book or a show and then for six months, you don't pick it up and then you forget where you are and you're like, well, where do I even start? Which book do I start? I don't, I don't remember where I am. Yes. That happened to me with, with that series. Like with the latest book, I, I was like, I don't even remember how any of this is relevant, mm-hmm. you know? And it kind of, if you don't understand the world, it's hard to read like an epic at that scale. But Mistborn's great. You might like the Ryra series by this dude, Michael. I forget his last name, uh, but he wrote like the Ryra Chronicles and Ryra Revelations. Like the Reddit fantasy subreddit um, is great for book recommendations if you ever want book recommendations. All right, I'm, I'm going to get into that. Ryra, you said? It's great fantasy reads. You know, alignment to the protagonist is like, lawful good or neutral good they're good stories full of intrigue you know it's cool i think you might also it's one of my favorite books it's called sanguo yangi it's romance of the three kingdoms and um that's the book that dynasty warriors was based on Mm. and uh there are a bunch of like like books and uh movies that are like offshoots of that three kingdoms book that's historical fiction so it's called the romance of the three kingdoms because it's a romantic account of the actual history um yeah and so it's like the warring states period in china you get fucking brilliant genius strategists you know fighting each other and like the different tactics they use in battle it's sick i love that i'm gonna check those out both on my list 10 years ago or maybe I, i don't know 20 years ago i guess i was in college I would just skip class and the reading to read that book. <laughs> like, <laughs> you were studying the wrong thing. Yeah. Do you feel like fantasy inspires you to be a better business leader or do you just like doing it? I think I love, you know, the hero's tale. Yes. No, we're all the heroes of our own story. And so I think, you know, it's, it's definitely aspirational to see amazing people doing amazing things and fantasy takes that to a whole new level and it's, you know he's like you're talking about getting you know, pumped up it really makes you feel like uh, like you could do great things you could be a hero you know you put yourself in their shoes and just, um yeah and we go to our work and we try to be you know we try to be the hero so i i think that it's i, I think it's helpful i feel similarly i feel like it creates a nice mental positive narrative that allows you to like baseline like you get a baseline almost in your head for like how you should act at work you know because i kind of feel like a lot of company founders can be i don't know kind of selfish uh and so i feel like the selfless morality of the heroes in those books like really appeals to me for some reason yeah that's a good point 
Hey, this is Andrew from SF AppWorks, a software development shop that helps companies develop websites, apps, chatbots, voice bots, and pretty much any kind of custom software. I wanted to quickly tell share- us about like SF AppWorks, dude. Like, how'd you guys get started, and like, you know, how's it been going? I checked out the site; it's cool that you guys have like a timeline, basically, of the evolution of the business. I was in law school at the time, and I was really trying to break into some kind of music. I already eliminated being a musician as possible. Um, so then I was like, okay, maybe I'll be a music lawyer. Uh, and I was trying to find jobs in that space. It's like, you know, to be a music lawyer is really to be on the wrong side of good. So to speak. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're, you're the evil empire if you're usually not always. But um, I didn't see a lot of opportunity there. And I asked my brother, who was a lawyer turned entrepreneur, I was like, how do I get into the music industry? Like start a company, and it never occurred to me. Like he grew up in Silicon Valley, and it never occurred to me that that was something one could do. So I went to I went to Office Depot and I bought like a nameplate, and I was like, "Here is a CEO of a one-person company. Let's do this." Um, and I started this company, and I met my current co-founder Darius there, and we built a, a music collaboration platform. So we wanted to basically create a Wikipedia for music creation. Um, let other musicians record, edit, branch off, and uh, see what comes out of it. And we actually, you know, we did that for about three years. We got on stage at TechCrunch Disrupt, raised some money, ended up partnering with Linkin Park. Had a lot of good opportunities, but the product was just so hard to um, you know, to stick. We couldn't get our, our product market state. It was complicated. We needed hardware. We were trying to do audio and video. And, it's always a great lesson for me in simplicity because this was 2008 and we were doing smart things in terms of like making it all server side, um, you know, which wasn't popular at the time, like cloud wasn't popular at the time, but it was so complicated. And like the same time we were launching that company, there was another music company launched called SoundCloud and their mission was to move music. Like that simple. You want music, you have it here, you want to move it there. Like it was a Dropbox for, you know, they, eventually they became a music platform, but so yeah, it just wasn't simple enough. It wasn't easy enough, and the company didn't work out. So, Darius and I, um, my my co-founder, we wanted to do another startup, but we didn't know what it was, and we were a little burned from kind of raising money. And so we thought, well, let's um, why don't we take on some startup like work and uh, and think about it for a little bit, and we can get some experience in different industries. And so he's from Romania. He had grown up near Cluj. And he had a couple of buddies and he's like, you know, these guys have been uh, coding at these companies for like 10 years. They can help us. So we made our first couple of hires there and we opened up shop and we were, you know, I was doing product management, um, product development. We had a designer um, and then Darius was an architect CTO and we had a couple of coders and we just started building websites and apps and thought, you know, did this for a year or two and then do our own startup and that was that's 12 years ago okay so there's like so much there so burned by the raising money process did you guys just like not like raising money or it's kind of a pain in the ass like i get it but I, but I, I want more like tell me more why did it suck why are you over it that sort of thing i think i just what what i i wasn't necessarily burned by the world or anything i was and i didn't mind raising money but it was all I was doing. And, you know, mm. I felt like so much of my life was just calling people, pitching them, trying to get more money. And as soon as you get the money in, you know, you're trying to play, but you're already looking to the next one. Uh, 
And, you know, I just, at the time I thought we could try to do this again, but it'd feel much better if we had cash flow from the start. Mm-hmm. And so it was more about the decision to, to be a cash flow business and, uh, you know, not spend beyond our means. And it's been nice because, oh, I think there's a lot of advantages to having a, you know, a board or having people accountability, um, expertise, but it's really nice being able to call your own shots and, and do things you, the way you want to do it. We bootstrapped for like eight years and then we raised like our first venture around like last year. So it's, it's interesting. Thanks, man. Yeah. It's, it's been cool. Um, but I, I, I totally know what you mean. We're like, there are trade offs in both universes, you know, uh, that you have to sort of deal with. Yeah. Sure. Well, I want to hear your take because you've seen the same business, both bootstrap and venture raised. Like how has the business changed or how's your experience changed? Building the business, you know, bootstrap, I felt like every, you know, day we're looking at the cash balance. We're reconciling, you know, plan versus actuals to understand what we can hire, where we can invest to scale faster, to grow faster. I'm like, we're like monitoring every dollar. And, but the upside of that is you have control and you can call your shots, right? But, but then you're like constantly thinking about like, like what if such and such happens? How much reserve do we have? Do we have to make cuts? Where are they going to come from? Um, but then, but it was fun because over, I mean, basically over eight years, you get to learn like where you think the key points are for investment to scale. Um, Right. And so we got to a point basically in the pandemic where we had some kind of acquisition conversations the inbound. We weren't looking to sell the company. We were like, Hey, okay, these people want to buy us. Like, let's talk about it. It's nice when those and emails start coming in. You're like, Oh, it must is. be doing something right here. hundred percent. And you know, we were just trying to build like a cool business and like have fun doing it, you know, uh, get people paid, get companies built. Like that's, like this fun shit, you know, we were like, well, there's probably, it's not probably a good time to sell right now because we're like, there's a lot of opportunity in the market. And so then we were like, let's go and see if we can raise some money. So we ran like a pretty tight process and we ended up finding a fund that I think match our worldview. Um, and we got sheets like from West Coast funds and it's super interesting. I can tell you all about that experience. That's Funny cool. how they operate. Uh, okay, you want to know? So yeah, hit me with it. Okay, so so West Coast vibe is super interesting. Where we had always grown like forty, fifty percent, right? Like profitably, it's solid growth. Um, and I remember the conversations with them were basically like, "You guys got to grow one hundred percent a year at least." And like, we're going to give you the money to. What is this shit? Fifty <laughs> percent? Yeah. Hundred percent, totally, and I, and, I, and I was like, oh, we have never done that, like, and so I don't. I, you can give me a billion dollars. I don't really know how to do that. So we're gonna try to ramp into that, but like, I'm not gonna pitch a plan that involves us doing that and sign my credibility to that because I, I like, I don't know how to do it. Like, we're gonna figure it out, and and that's when I realized I'm like, man. These people on the West Coast, they just fucking go for it. They're like, fuck it, we'll figure it out. This is the point we want to hit. We're going to raise the money. We're going to go do it. And I, yeah. 
I admire that because that's ballsy as fuck. And it's almost like, it's so animal. You're like, I don't know how we're going to do it, but we're going to fucking do it. Yeah. But, but to me, I'm like, dude, we're like playing with like people's lives. We're playing with the business. Like we're playing with commitments that they, that we're making. So I felt uncomfortable with that personally. I think over time, I just realized like that's just how the game is played. Like that's how the stacking set of incentives down from the LPs to the fund to your company, like you all know that that's not reality, but you have to pretend as if it is and make that happen. Like I, I get that now, but at the time we were like, that seems kind of weird. Well, there's all um, aim for the stars land on the moon to that too, right? Like, okay, go for a hundred percent. So you land at 50, go for 50, I, yes. you're going to land at 25 or whatever. Yes, exactly. And like, I get that now, but to me, it's like, if I'm going to say we're going to do something, I want to fucking damn well know how to do it you know personally um and so we found the fund that when we pitched the plan which is basically like hey we're gonna keep doing what we're doing we're gonna do a little bit more of it we want to invest in these key areas that we think are really important to our customer base that they've been asking for but we just been i'm not doing because we're monitoring cash flow and trying to be profitable they're like cool yeah we get it and like we want to try these things to grow faster they're like cool we get it and it was like super aligned. So we got the deal done. And I would say a year later, you know, August will be one official year. It's been awesome because it's forced me to grow into a role where I'm not as operationally focused, where I'm trying to constantly fine tune the machine and make it more efficient. I'm not focused on like, how do we hire players from other companies that are awesome to come in and build process for us and go and close deals? And that's been like fucking cool. Cause I, that's just a cool experience to go through, I think, as a, as a business person. And it's like, uh, it sounds so trivial, but it's like, you now have to think about how do you create an environment where like you have generals that are making strategic decisions versus you're actually making all the strategic decisions. Like, like kind of all you have to do as a CEO is like really set the vision and the vision is like a sentence and then trust that the people have the right intuition to align with that vision based on the playbook they want to run. So you're like at a really high level of abstraction, which is like, it's actually like insane to think about. And like, sometimes I like drive home from work. I'm like, this is fucking nuts. Like, I can't believe that I have this job. Like, like what? Um, so that's been like really cool. I have to say it's so, scary, but it's cool. <laughs> I think the way to do that is to take vacations because <laughs> yes, no, because when you take a vacation, especially a longer one, like two weeks, three weeks, I, you know, I just got back from like my wedding and honeymoon, my first time taking Sick. three weeks off and I was pretty worried about it. And, <laughs> but it was actually great because the weeks leading up to it, we were like, okay, I'm going to be gone. You know, I, like, here's what we're trying to accomplish while I'm gone, just from a high level. We can't solve everything in advance, so let's just lay out the strategy. And then everyone else had to pick up the, the slack and, you know, make strategic decisions, like you said. And, you know, for the first, I don't know, 10, 11 years, I was one of those, like, I didn't really vacation, but I would, you know, I'd always yeah. have my phone. I'd always have my laptop. I would yes. just work two or three hours a day instead of a full day. But because yes. of that, I could go anywhere I wanted and be anywhere. And only, like, the last couple of years, I started trying to create the you know barriers and say you know what i think it's actually healthy to shift gears and not pay attention decompress so 
yeah, weeks leading up, high level strategy, then you're gone, you're getting a fresh break, everyone else is picking up the slack and making those strategic decisions, and then you come back and everyone's better for it. No, that's so true. I've been trying to do a better job of that myself. Like, it's funny, like, we, so we have a remote culture too. And, but we have an office and I'm currently in the office with like our head of revenue and, but our team is distributed. And when I work from home, sometimes I, it takes me like two hours to like have my brain warmed up. And then the come down after work takes me like two hours, you know, but when I'm driving to work and I'm in the car and I'm playing tunes and I'm like having my cup of coffee. I can like feel myself transforming into like that motherfucker. Yeah. Same. And then I'm like, this is a, right. You zoned in. And then when you leave, you're like deep, you're shifting back into normal person. Um, and yeah, the journey, so that separation is important. Yeah. I started, um, Sorry. cause I'm working from home and I had like the first breakthrough I don't know, 10 years ago was I was, cause when I first started working from home, I would just get up and open my laptop and start working from bed. Yes. I was terrible. Yes. Because yes. then all of a sudden, like yes. you poison, yes. you poison your bed, you poison your laptop. It's like all. So then I, you know, I finally figured out I need a separate room. I walk through that door and I'm now in work mode and I leave that yes. room and I'm not in work mode. And um, so that was the first thing. But recently, what I started doing is uh, commuting to work. So I have a dog, golden retrievers, half salary here next to me, um, and I now like get up an hour before my first meeting. I go for a walk around the block. It's my commute to work. And it's been really helpful for kind of, like you said, turn it on, turn it off. Oh, yeah, dude. Oh, my God. I would, like, work late and then, like, wake up and then the f- five minutes before the first meeting. And, like, we, we, we used to have, like, our check-ins at, like, 7.30. And then I'm just immediately, you're just slamming the coffee I yeah. like taking nicotine, so I'm like dosing myself with nicotine, yeah. and I'm just in the zone. And I'm like, this is not healthy, and I could feel myself aging extremely fast. But you're like, whatever, this is what it takes, so I'm going to do it. Oh, I used uh, to do my me- um, my meetings in with Romania ten hours ahead, so you either have to do them really early or really late. And for the first few <laughs> years, I would do them really late at like midnight, one a.m. Oh. The problem is like you get so tired, so I would I would drink like I would drink yes. whiskey during a meeting. To stay up, yes, and yes. Uh, and I was the same way. I was like, "This is not healthy," and also, yes, not professional. <laughs> yes, so totally. now I go all my meetings well, in the morning and I drink coffee. <laughs> <laughs> coffee with whiskey, in it, though. Totally, yeah. Th- that's not a bad. Sometimes on vacation, that's fun. Like if you want to like write something, you know, that's uh, that's the thing. Um, but yeah, no, dude, I totally feel you. Like. It's kind of like when you're an entrepreneur, it seems you're always on because you're the backstop to every issue. And so I've been a lot more aware of the different kind of like emotional and psychological states I'm in and how that affects my decision making. You know, uh, like you might make a slightly different business decision if you're on that dopamine high of your second cup of coffee versus your fifth cup of coffee versus your first drink like you're a different person slightly yeah i try to tell my team like don't let me make any fucking important decisions after noon on a friday 
like from <laughs> noon to six, like do not put anything that needs my review in front of me. Like that's a next week item. <laughs> We're shutting down that unit. What? I don't want to do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you guys started SF AppWorks. Now I have to ask you, so like, is there a sense of like, cause I, you know, you guys are building a cash flow business. The growth is predictable, but do you guys ever look at like, you know, the, the next unicorn, decacorn, and are like, damn, we should start like a product company. Is there ever that thought or are you guys like, like, Hey, we're happy making good money, building a good life for us and the company. And that's good. Yeah. That's exactly what we grapple with every day. Um, that, um <laughs> so like we've tried it actually. We always thought, you know, I said when we started, we were going to just do this till we came up with a startup idea. And one of our first clients was a marathon training app. And, um, it was really fun. And, um, you know, we, we had some good growth early on. So we we're like, Hey, you know, we should really go after this. Um, the founders of that company ended up, you know, when, when the growth spurted out, they ended up kind of giving up on it. So we acquired it. We we're like, let's, let's build this up. And we tried to do that for a couple of years while we were running the business. And what I realized really quickly is, you cannot compete with other people at halftime because they're working 100%. You're working 50%. They're just going to keep speeding past you. Um, so then we had to figure out you know, if one or the other. So we went back to the more reliable, stable one. Um, but, you know, nowadays, of course, with like now that ChatGPT is out and it's like AI revolution, it's like definitely intriguing again. Um, you know, and, and we definitely have conversations like, would we start another internal product? Like, could it be one that helps our clients and then like pivot all the way to it? Is there something that could help us in our workflow? We have those discussions, but it's, you know, we're very wary of splitting our, our focus and attention. And it's like, how, how do you start to value the opportunity cost of building the company that's growing and that has a market customers, you know, all that stuff versus like a new idea where you can't really measure anything to see what it's worth in terms of time uh, i've definitely had shiny object syndrome where i'm like we should build this other thing over here and go do this you know yeah, one day i think i mean it would be, we love the prototype and like you know we have some bench resources we're like right now we're building a movie recommendation app on chat now like the world needs another movie recommendation app but at the same time we're like let's see what we can do here and uh and it's fun and interesting, you know, so you can build little prototypes here. We're also working on EV charging station solution, um, which is this growing area in Romania. But we don't build them as products. We build them as prototypes. We put them out there for people to test and play with. And, you know, I think if we saw some kind of like, you know, if we hit a nerve, maybe it'd be fun to explore. Could we actually build a business unit that's going to grow this as a business um, and have its own leadership and stuff so that, you know, you're not splitting your attention you're making a calculated investment totally it would be cool if you guys like found like a third i mean this is an idea totally unsolicited but it's like be cool if there's like a third partner that like ran like a studio leveraging your bench and like that person was responsible for like prototyping ideas taking them to market and then ultimately finding the founding team to take and scale that and maybe you guys keep a piece of that business i don't know uh you know, and that way it's like you you can build the company, but the company's taking leveraged bets in a systematic fashion, you know? Yeah. Yeah, if you find that studio, let me know. You can build it. 
yeah, that's another interesting idea. Um, you know, the idea yeah. of being more of like a creative studio than a development and design studio. I think we actually are trying to tilt a little more that way as well. We've always cut our chops on being an engineering firm with some design resources, and we're trying to be more of a product and design firm with a really strong engineering arm. Uh, and that that's more project related work for me, which you know, I was stepping out of that for a long time. Now I'm stepping back into it. But it's also really exciting because a lot of those conversations are focused around AI and what the new platforms are. And it just very much feels like how it felt when the smartphone dropped. Mm, that's cool. Yeah, totally. I, and I feel like from a business standpoint, there's like in markets where there's a lot of transition, uncertainty and opacity, there's a lot of opportunity for competitive advantage and, and margin and stuff like that. So it's cool. It's cool. Cause I feel like, you know, working like lower on the idea stack to like around implementation, it's like very cut and dry. It's like this engineer costs this much, you know, versus working higher in the product and idea stack. You get to deal with like, what does this do for your business? Well, you know? Totally. Um, that's exactly, it's a great point. I mean, the, the hardest part about being the implementers is you're at the end of the line and all the strategic decisions happen way above you. And it's fun to be involved in the strategy. You know, you want to be involved in how do we make the business work, not just how do we build the thing you told us to build. The engagements where they just give us plans and tell us to build them. You know, we do that, but it's not very collaborative. It's more like, hey, you think you know what you're doing and we're just going to implement it. The engagements where they're like, here's what we're trying to figure out and we're hoping technology can do it. Um, and we get to be a part of those conversations. Those are fun. Those are rewarding. And I think the product ends up doing everything. Yeah. So, so you and your brother both went to law school? Yeah. And my other brother too. And did, were your parents lawyers? Or my are dad, they lawyers? My dad. My dad's lawyer. Uh, is that, was that like a big influence basically or? Yeah, even it, it was. Um, I I didn't know if I wanted to be a lawyer or not, but I I saw what you know two of my brothers um, were doing, and it was I knew it was like a good path there. Um, and I figured, you know, why not? It's funny. It's like you know, sometimes you don't actually make a big decision; you make a small decision that like leads to a big decision. The only yes. decision I ever made was to take the LSAT. I never decided to go to law school. I was like, fine, I'll take the test. Let's just see how I do on it. Um, yeah. LSAT, the LSAT is basically a giant logic game. Yeah. It's fun. Yes. So like, yes. I got really obsessed with the, the, um, with the LSAT and like the, the there was actually a logic game section. It's terrifying. Like they'll give you this thing where it's like, okay, you're, uh, you're transporting animals across a river and there's 42 animals and, you know, they give you these rules. You'd be like, campus, you know, meat eaters with, herbivores um you can have males and women together but only if there's more women than male men they give you 10 other things and then they're like that's fine you have better five minutes to figure this out and if you make one mistake then the whole thing falls apart um, but i got obsessed with that and i would just practice them over and over um, and i got a perfect score on the logic games part of the test and no shit yeah and it was awesome when and you know i was like an average student above average so i don't know low 3.0 gpa but like they'll it's, it's totally unfair and i think they're changing this i think they're making it optional but if you get in the 98th percentile in the lsat 
all the top schools are like, come on in. <laughs> they don't care about anything totally. else. It's amazing. So I, I, I did well on the LSAT and then it was like, oh, now you have to go. Um, that's sick. A law school is a great way of teaching you how to problem solve. That's, that's really what the, the core skill is there. Um, and it also like, it removes that fear of reading a contract. Yes. And then, and then lastly, and most importantly, maybe it teaches you to like have a liability sensor where you're like, dee, 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 dee. oh my God, I'm liable here. Get off the roof. <laughs> you should know, whatever. That's cool. I'll, t- I'll tell you a story. So, um, <laughs> hey, when I was an undergrad, I, like a, basically a, a friend of mine was like a big brother to me. He, he went to law school. He's a really smart fucking guy. He went to Columbia Law and like Cornell undergrad and like, you know, which is like this sharp, like a little bit older Indian guy that like, all, like was, I'm an only child. So he was almost like an older brother. And, uh, um, cool. I remember when I was an undergrad, I was like a liberal arts major. And he was like, dude, what the fuck are you going to do with a liberal arts degree? And I was like, I don't know. I didn't think that far. I seriously, I was like, I, I like reading and I like, you know, learning about philosophy and it's fun. And like college was cheap. And so I wasn't too worried about, about it. And, um, and so he's like, you dude, you need to like, go to grad school. Like you just go to law school. And I was like, okay. And so, I mean, similar, I took the LSAT and I, but I, there's a lot of stuff involved in applying to law school. And so I remember I wanted to go to China, uh, cause I had studied Chinese and all this stuff. And I went there. Yeah. Sweet. I ended up working for a startup and, um, the startup was basically started by a couple like, JD MBAs from like Northwestern who were former consultants and like went to China to kind of build some tech business. And, um, they were like, we need a guy to help us build basically like a data dash and like help us do random shit for our company that we're trying to build here. And, um, I was like, okay. And they paid me pretty good money in China. And so I, I had never anticipated nice. working at a tech company or anything like that. Um, and they sold that company pretty quickly in like two years. Wow. And yeah, it was sweet. Uh, but the way they did that is like they would buy companies in local markets. Uh, and so they would just have me structure the term sheet and like, you know, go and uh, work with our, basically our general counsel to do the deal. And when they sold the company, they had me like do a bunch of work with the law firm that we had used. And I remember talking to like the lawyers that were helping us like sell the company to the buyer. And these guys, I was like maybe 22 or 23 at the time. And the lawyers were like 30. And so they were, you know, peak lawyers, right. And like working at a nice firm, making the money. And I would talk to them I'm like, what's your lifestyle? Like, cause like, this is something that I have at least done one step towards. And they're like, dude, I am trying to get out of the law. And I was like, I see, maybe I don't want to do that. Yeah. And so that that's where my law school dreams kind of died. I was like, well, I had a similar <laughs> similar experience. I was in New York doing a, a summer associate thing and uh, one of the big yeah. law firms. And they were like, so great. Because you like, you go to work and at five o'clock, they'd be like, we're taking you out to dinner and then we're taking you to like a bar. And it was so fun. And I remember like one of the first nights there, we were out partying until like two in the morning. Let's go yep. to the office and get my laptop. And I remember like going into the office and like so many people were working. And I 
it's like, oh shit, like, this is this is actually not a lifestyle business. This is a everyone's working at two AM business. Everybody's working at two AM, and what killed me is like they're wearing fucking suits, and that that sucked the most because. When I was working at the startup, my favorite thing is like people rolled up in shorts and in a t-shirt and like it was all performance based. Like if you were smart, you worked hard. That's all that mattered. But when like we would be doing these video calls with these lawyers, they're like in fucking suits at like 8.30 PM. And I'm like, guys, that's so dumb. And they're like, yeah, well, we have to do that. And yeah. I was like, I can't, I, I can't. And that sounds so childish, but. Uh, I don't know. It's hard for me, honestly. Well, I remember when we were raising money, um, my, uh, my co-founder was like, should I put on a nice shirt for this? And I was like, you can put on a nice shirt if you want, but if you don't, you have to act really smart because if you're going to do the t-shirt yes. thing, you got to be brilliant. And he goes, I'm going to put on a nice shirt. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so, so, you know, Peter Thiel, um, Not in zero to one, I think he, yeah, like in, in one of his books, me neither, but in one of his books, he talked about like how wearing like a suit is actually like, uh, it's a negative signal because that means the founders are like optimizing to look like presentable. Yeah. Whereas like they should be like, they should be working so hard that they look fucking disheveled, you know? So yeah. like that, it's just funny. I don't know how true that is. Our venture fund wears nice clothes and. I try to respect them by wearing nice clothes when they're they're in town and we're having our board meeting. But like, so yeah, our rule is if you're asking for money, wear nice clothes. It's like polite. <laughs> you're asking for money. Go on. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I wore a t-shirt and stuff to our pitch. I think I wore a long sleeve. Strategically though, because you were trying to be there. <laughs> I, I'm disheveled. Nah. I work so hard down there. <laughs> No, I am actually disheveled. I don't know if I work hard, but I'm, I'm disheveled. So. <laughs> so after the summer associateship for two years, you're like, fuck this. I want to do my own thing, basically. Yeah. Um, went back to law school. Um, and then I, uh, I was like, okay, I'm in law school. This is going to sound bad, but like in grad schools, you, you can kind of slope by and yeah. do fine. Like they don't want their students to look to do poorly because it's in all the rankings. Maybe it's changed now, but back then it was like, our average GPA is really high. So you can float if you want. Um, and so I, I knew that. I was like, okay, I actually have this great opportunity to work on this business while I'm still in law school, um, do enough to get by in law school and explore this thing. And if it, if it works well, I got a year, right? If it works well, then I can do that full time when I graduate. If it doesn't work well, then I have you know, my fallback plan. So that's what I did. I, um, I started business and uh, I had uh, some good mentors. My brother, Eric, uh, he, he mentored me a ton. Um, he joined as an advisor and founder. He had a, another uh, co-founder of his business, a guy named A.L. Herzog, who was a, a brilliant product strategy idea person. Um, and he's also a musician. And um, he's actually the one that had the idea for Wikipedia for music. Um, and so he kind of took me under his wing and started showing me how to explore. And we just started testing and building. At the time, I was in L.A., um, but we had an office in Palo Alto, and I was commuting to law school, basically. Flying down Tuesday morning to my classes Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, flying back up, and then working Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah, I guess the hard part is, like, getting in. And then once you're in, they're, like, pass-fail and just, yeah. like, show up. And 
for sure. Rooting. Yeah, for sure. Really hard to get in um, once you're in. I mean, if you want to, if you're like trying to build a career out of it, you want to be in the top percent. You want to get a job at the yeah. good firms. You want to be in the top 10% or whatever. Um, but like me, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So it was, I was just putting, placing two bets instead of one. I will say to add to the experience after raising money, what's been really intellectually gratifying for me is I feel like the problems are more complex and also the people that you can afford to hire are like way more sophisticated. Uh, and in terms of just their experience level and like the type of conversations you're having at work are just like, they're more gratifying intellectually. Yeah. Um, and that, that is one thing where I feel like, you know, a career in law or going to law school, like you would for sure have that. Like you would for sure feel intellectually challenged every day, you know, oh, yeah. uh, working with super smart, motivated people that have worked their butts off. That is rewarding. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I feel like, so it's funny, like the partner on our board from the fund that we work with, he like, he's probably one of the smartest dudes that I've met. And you have to like come correct with him. And like sometimes like, you know, if you're, if you're like smarter than average, you can get away with some bullshit where you're like, this is not totally logical, but I'm persuasive enough to just make this claim and nobody's going to check me on it. But like with him, you have to like have a very tight argument and you have to prep if you wanted to say something controversial. And like, that's for a guy like me, I, I enjoy that, you know, cause I feel like as a founder, you're doing a bunch of like tedium all the time, you know? So when you can do something that's very intellectually challenging, it feels fucking cool. It feels great. You know? Yeah. And, um, my brother is like that too. And it's a great skill to try to learn and then try to have people on your team do as well. I mean, I've heard about yes. you know, decision fatigue. Right? People come to you and say, what should I do here? And you tell them what to do. And the next person, what should I do? You tell them what to do. You're just making tiny decisions all day and then you get really fatigued. Um, if instead they come to you and say, here's a problem. Um, here's option A and here's the drawbacks to that and here's the, the benefits and here's option B. I think we should do option B. What do you think? They've done a lot of the thinking and that empowers them. And then you have more mental space to do other types of things. Like you don't want to solve everyone's problem. Yes. You want people to solve problems and you solve all their problems. Yes, that's so true. Um, you ever listen to or read a book by the student Jocko Willink? Do you know who that is? No. He's like great a great name though. Four, it's a fucking sick name. Yeah, Jocko. Jocko I, yeah. His real name is John, I think. Uh, but he's a former Navy SEAL, uh, and, you know, big guy in the Jiu Jitsu and martial arts community. And he has, he wrote a book called Extreme Ownership, basically sort of talking about lessons he learned on the SEAL teams. And he has a kind of cool podcast called the Jocko podcast. And it's a really cool podcast on leadership, on Jiu Jitsu, on martial arts, on, different things like that so if you like lessons taught to you like through anime i think you dig this podcast because it's almost like he's been in a he's been in real life battle and like forged his understanding of human behavior from that it's really cool i i will definitely check it out because the one yeah. thing i really need right now is another podcast recommendation 
it's like <laughs> I actually will check it out and I love podcasts, but Jesus, there's so many and they're so good. And it's like, I how can you possibly and they come out like every week, sometimes more. It's really uh, it's hard to keep up. Do you do you feel like pressure to consume information? Uh, it's not that I feel pressure to consume information. I feel um, I feel like I consume information too much as a form of like escaping escapism. Um, you know, I want to fill every every moment I have. So it's like, oh, okay, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna do some laundry and I put on a podcast. I'm gonna wash the dishes. I put on a podcast. I'm gonna walk my dog. I put on a podcast. I'm gonna get in the car and put on an audiobook, whatever. Um, and I realize like I'm not creating enough time to just sit with thoughts and let them work through. And so like yeah, now I do my, my morning commute um, and I intentionally don't listen to anything, just let the mind wander. Uh, and I, and same one when I run, I just run with music, I just let it wander. And I realize like for my mind, it's very, you know, intertangled with thoughts and um, I need to like let those things work out, work themselves out. And if I don't do that, then it's, yeah, it's just hard for me. Um, so I'm trying to be aware and mindful about not just filling up time with podcasts, even when it's uncomfortable. I try not to have any information, like input other than like work and like jujitsu and like people that I care about until like Saturday. And then I've made, you know, when I can like clean my house or when I'm like gardening or, you know, on a road trip, then I'll go, okay, it's time to like get a sense of what's going on in the world. And I'll just use that time box to rotate through a couple things that I like. So you're you not know? a sports um, fan then? I like mixed martial arts and like martial arts related sports. Which happens but, on Saturday, conveniently. Yes, exactly. But I don't watch any other sports generally. Uh, personally, I think that's so. the trap that, that lures me into the news cycles. I want to see like what's happening in the basketball world. I try actually like consciously quit baseball a long time ago. I'm like, this has got tons of this 152 games. Um, and you know, I have a fantasy football league which I basically use to keep in touch with friends, and so I pay attention to that. I like why is it so like. Uh, addictive i don't know i can get addicted to watching like commentators commentate about mma fights like i'll watch their analysis about a fight and i'm like hooked you know i don't know why yeah it's just that like the deeper you get into something the more interesting it is to you and then you want to get deeper and it's it's a vicious cycle <laughs> yeah you're like oh yeah like this guy's got a got a great takedown defense like oh but this guy's like a little bit bigger and it's got good striking like who's gonna win you're like uh, I'm just going to watch the fight. Why do I care about these people's opinions of what's going to happen or what happened after one person won? I'm uh, super annoying. I'll like rewind a preseason game because I didn't hear what someone said. But, oh, I got to listen to that again. Wait, it's a preseason game. Who cares? I've gotten too, it's gone too far. <laughs> yeah. Do you, but do you feel like sometimes when you consume that stuff, it helps you get your mind off of work? Like it helps. It's like a nice way to zone into something else. Yes, it's totally another um, escape, escapism. Been thinking about that a lot lately. Like when and why we choose to escape from our stuff, and when we choose to commit and just deal with it. Um, but like, I love basketball because I only think about basketball when I'm playing basketball. 
not no other thoughts come to my mind. And that kind of mental focus and purity is is such an incredible feeling. Yeah. No, I hear you. I feel the same way. I feel like sometimes like it's nice to think about low stakes things. Like it's nice to think about like what happens when these two people fight? It's pretty low stakes in terms of my life. Yeah. Like nothing is right. It's just the sport. Yeah. But if you're thinking about work, you're like, if I make the wrong decision here, it's bad. It's like not good. So. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. And it can help you focus in those big high stakes moments. If you do low stakes stuff as if we're a high stakes. Golf is a perfect example of this. I'm a new golfer, pandemic golfer. I like to not yeah. understand why I do it because it's so stupid. I'm just going to hit a ball around a fake grassy field. But at the same time, it's so... Like if you make it important so hard, and you have to focus so much and it's that exact thing. It's low stakes, but very hard. And if you can learn to focus and perform at that level and you can learn the patience that comes with it, then I think it makes you better at your high stakes focus moments. Totally. There's a book that I read this past weekend called Dokodo. It's written by the student Miyamoto Musashi, who's like history's I'm reading his book. I'm reading uh, Musashi right now. Okay, nice. Yeah, that's a great one. And then he wrote a book called The Book of Five Rings as well, which is also really good. Um, and it's, yeah, longer read the, and longer. yeah, Musashi, then Book of Five Rings, then Dokodo. And in, and Dokodo was the last book he wrote like a week before he died. And oh, it's like wow. 21 precepts to basically be a fucking samurai. It teaches you how to be a, a, like a steadfast person. And I feel like they come at it differently than the Stoics do. Because a lot of the Stoic thinkers were like born into wealth, like Marcus Aurelius, the dude was mm. born an emperor. So you're just like, okay, dude, you're an emperor. Like, yeah, maybe you fought first in some battles, but like your dad was a fucking emperor. Like, that's yeah. not that cool. Whereas Musashi is like, he built his way up through battle to being history's greatest swordsman. So yeah. I, I admire that. Yeah. Um, and there's a thousand Musashis that tried that and died. <laughs> so it's like amazing that he made it. Yeah, totally. And so he talks about it in, you know, the book of five rings and also in Doka though, like, like having indifference and like having an unflappable sort of emotional state and like not actually taking decisions seriously actually makes you better at your craft. Uh, and I see that sometimes with like really good competitors in jujitsu. They're able to like take a fucking nap before competing. Like yeah. th- their resting heart rate is that low. You know, yeah. where they're just like, they're in the forties and fifties and they're napping. They're not nervous. And then they turn it on when they're ready to compete. And then they get back to that state of rest versus like they're amped the whole time, which is sometimes what it feels like if you're in a state of stress for 12 hours for work. Yes. You know? so Curry, uh, as trainer, they work on that. They talk about how he goes to the bench and he does these exercises where he lowers his heart rate just with his mind while he's in the bench. That's powerful. Apparently, that's like, um, if you can get your resting heart rate as low as possible, that is connected to faster recovery after intense bouts of effort. Um, and so like it creates like a nice ramp down and then over intensity bursts, you can maintain that same intensity in successive loops, um, for a longer period. So, you know, yeah, from Musashi to Steph Curry. 
great. You know, they all have something in yeah. common. And that is the way of the sword, right? It's all it's all about uh, your mind. It's not about yeah the physical stuff. Yeah. What do you think about Musashi so far? How far along are you in that book? Uh, I'm like 25% of the way through. So like 200 pages in. It's a pretty long book. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's great. You know, sometimes I worry about really old books because like, it's a different world. feel out of touch. But the samurai said he wanted to, he wanted to be like an old world. And um, it's written in a, in a fun, funny way, in a way. Like there's a good level of humor to how it all is. I guess it reflects his state of not taking anything too seriously, even the life or death battles. Um, but uh, it's great. You know, I was comparing it to Shogun when I started reading it. And Shogun is much more like Game of Thrones, like where you have mm-hmm. these, like these leaders that are fighting and deploying strategies and it's very high level. And Musashi's kind of like the opposite. It's like the, you know, each person's individual story and how they kind of interconnect um, from the lower lower level. So I, I think it, I'm really enjoying it. That's awesome. Have you seen the Kira Kurosawa movie uh, Seven Samurai, right? A long time ago. Wow. It's, yeah, it's a classic if you like samurai. Actually. There's an anime called Seven Samurai that's based on that story. That's pretty good. I watched that like maybe 15 years ago, but it's pretty good. All right, man. We've been going for like over an hour. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Let's do it again. I feel like there's so much to talk about. I agree. Um, let me know if you come to San Francisco. Okay. Yeah. And and let me know if you guys come to Nashville or close by. You know, I'll tell you guys some spots and we can grab a beer or something like that. Did you think that you'd be in this field? like 15 years ago like did you think that this is what you'd be spending your life's gifts on i think i wanted to build stuff i think the only thing that sometimes feels not as um, i don't know ideal these days is that like i want i want to have more ownership in the stuff we're building like i so i feel that way with the company right like i feel like i have ownership in building that company um but, you know, I, like we, we work with really cool teams building really cool products. And there's like a little bit of a you know, wistfulness of like, oh, but wouldn't that be cool if your whole life was just really trying to fix this complicated problem? And so that's the one thing where I'm like, maybe, you know, my next thing, whenever that is, maybe it's with this team. Um, you know, I, I want to just be like, let's work on a problem. I don't know. It's cool to work on like a bunch of different problems though, you know, but I can understand like the desire to like have like a thing that you're just like, oh, we want to be the best at this in the world, you know? Um, yeah. It's, just, it's cyclical. Yeah. I mean, I love it. I love it. I've been doing this for 12 years. And I absolutely love it. Um, it's probably natural. You do something for like over a decade and you're always like, oh, I wonder what the opposite of this is like, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. What would it be like if I was a professional jujitsu? Totally, totally. And then, like, and then I'd probably hate it because I'm like, dude, I have to take training so seriously. I know. Like, that's the that's the risk, you know. Yeah, you you walk away from an amazing thing, and then you're like, what have I done? Oh, like my post workout 
beverages of beer every time I train. And so, like, I definitely would not be doing that if I, like, had to be a professional jiu-jitsu competitor. Wait, don't you train you know? at 6 a.m., though? Not often. If it's at 6 a.m., <laughs> then it's like, you know, I'm probably not. Yeah, I may have fibbed there. If it's at 6 a.m., I'm unfortunately probably taking Got some it. nicotine. I'm, <laughs> I, yeah, I'm, I'm having some coffee. That's true. But if it's at, like, so if it's at 6 p.m., like I'm stopping by Whole Foods, I'm getting like a hard kombucha plus like a pre-made after 6 p.m. As I go to Whole Foods, I get like a hard kombucha, you know, not so like, you know, okay, two, three percent plus like a pre-made sushi thing, maybe two. Yeah. And I'll slam that, you know what I mean? And then I maybe have a whiskey afterwards. But nice. like that's my that's my go to after night. And on Saturdays, if that's I'm training healthy. in the day. I'll probably have a beer because, you know, you finish at like 1 p.m. And so it's one of like life's great joys. You know, we all need balance. But man, there's nothing like a beer after a workout. It's the best. It's so good, especially like outside when you're like you're done with your workout. You're having a beer on your yard and like you're doing some shit outside gardening. That's the best. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast powered by Gun.io. We drop two episodes per week. So if you like this episode, be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice and come hang out with us again next week and bring all your internet friends. If you have questions or recommendations, just shoot us a Twitter DM at the Frontier Pod and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast, produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to Gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast, and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.